Welcome to They Get It. My name's Kelsey, and my co-host Emma and I love direct-to-consumer brands. Whether it's an amazing customer experience or a really killer social strategy, this podcast will feature the brands and founders who just get it. On this week's episode of They Get It, we got to interview Martika Wakeman. You guys, the energy was palpable. She is so knowledgeable, so well-spoken, so passionate, and is just truly, in my opinion, the best person to be solving this type of of issue. And I can't wait for you guys to hear more about it because she does an amazing job setting up, you know, her background and how she got into starting Santa Kind and kind of her plans for really changing the world going forward. Um, And just in the interim, to provide a little bit more context, Santa Kind is disrupting the boring, wasteful sanitizer industry with color, convenience, and sustainability. And so I think what's so special about Martika and what she's building with Santa Kind is every little detail of this business is well thought out. And if there's a carbon emission, there's a carbon offset. And they're just so intentional with, like I said, every little detail of how this business is built and continues to scale. It's really exciting. It is really exciting. And yeah, no, honestly, I just learned a ton from this episode. And I think Martika is so, um, what's the right word? Like she's just so dutiful is that the right word like Mm. she just does everything the right way you know like I you can tell through everything she says in the episode it's like she even if it means more work or it's a hassle or whatever like she's very true to what she believes in and I think that's really an honorable quality to have um and yeah so throughout this episode she talks us through you know what is a sustainable business versus a responsible business and what are the different pillars that go into being a responsible business kind of gives this overview but then she also goes into some really quick simple ways to become a more um, responsible business um and yeah there's just lots of good takeaways for business owners in here hundred percent. Actually, I think the word I would use for her after you said that I was trying to think of what I would say, and I think it would be uncompromising (laughs) is like, I truly think she understands that doing things this way isn't the easy way. And she does it anyway. Yeah. And we love that. Like, Uh, and I honestly, I think, I think that's why having women in business is so important and having female founders, because I think, I mean, I don't want to say guys don't think about this stuff. That's obviously a huge generalization, but I just think women are good at paying attention to detail and they're good at, you know, pushing that envelope and pushing themselves to do the right thing. Um, and like paying attention. I don't know. Again, maybe it's, it's a true. generalization, but I think female founders do it right. Oh, and we love to see it. Actually, like little story time. I don't know what's wrong with me the last couple of weeks, but I can't catch a flight to save my life. And so yet again, I was supposed to be back in Toronto yesterday. Didn't happen. Missed my flight. And I'm literally calling in to try and reschedule to get the next flight out. I was literally on hold for three and a half hours. And I think if you listen to Martika or if you read anything um, that she has published, she's all about just because business has been done one way doesn't mean that's how it should be going forward. And so you look at these old industries like like big pharma, like a lot of the people who were producing hand sanitizer during COVID, like airlines, for example, and they're just so comfortable with the status quo that they're willing to let customers wait on customer service you know, for three and a half hours, which is insane in my opinion. But in really happy news, um, there was an indigenous 
female airline that just launched recently earlier this week. Um, they fly on the West Coast, and I am just so excited, Emma. To your point, if you know, we tend to see women focus on details and focus on customers so much more. I have big expectations, and I'm very excited to see stuff like this hit the market. Yeah, super exciting. Ooh, I love it. And also, yeah, we need to we need to figure out your airport situation. You need to travel <laughs> I don't think with me. there's I know I really do. I need my queen of coordination because this is just <laughs> not working. <laughs> oh, we do what we can. No more traveling solo. I am coming with you. <laughs> yeah. From here on and out. only lovely exotic <laughs> locations. <laughs> That's the only place we're going. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Love it. Nowhere crusty. We are not spending winter in Canada. No. No, no, no. And that's all there is to it. <laughs> that's all there is to it. Should we get into the conversation with Martika? Let's do it. Welcome back to another episode. Today we have Martika Wakeman here with us, who is one of the co-founders of SantaKind. Thank you so much for being here, Martika. We're excited to chat with you. Oh, thanks for having me. All right. So, I mean, I have so many questions, not only about building SantaKind, but also just your background. But I think for starters, um, to get the audience caught up to speed, tell us about SantaKind, why you started it, what it is, yeah. all of the good stuff. Yeah. So we call ourselves the swell water bottle of sanitizers. Um, the sanitizer industry is obviously one of the least sexy industries that there is. Um, <laughs> and it's really wasteful. And during COVID, we saw that there was just so much extra single-use plastic from masks to rubber gloves. You know, everyone's like sanitizing their groceries. We're all freaking mm -hmm. out. And all of these bottles of sanitizer. Um, now you go into a store and, you know, like any retail shop that sells clothes is also selling little sanitizers to go on their register. Mm -hmm. You know, it's everywhere. Um, but it doesn't need to be that way. And it's really the way we view it is waste is a design flaw. So we created a uh, reusable, infinitely reusable sanitizer dispenser that's made out of recycled plastic. And this plastic comes from uh, oceans and waterways in Mexico and Haiti. So it would otherwise just end up in the ocean. And we use that to make this product. And then our refills are their standalone um, sanitizer dispenser. They're eight ounce, but they're made of aluminum. So uh, aluminum is the most recycle recyclable um, packaging that you can imagine. So it's mm -hmm. you know a can of LaCroix. It's probably already been recycled. Um, and it mm -hmm. will be recycled infinitely, whereas plastic or paper, it can only be recycled a few times. And most things can't be recycled because they're just too complex. Mm -hmm. So we're really looking, you know, we're, we're zero waste and carbon neutral. We really wanted to reinvent what it looks like to use sanitizer. We have subscription model, like no one has been doing this. So it's been really interesting because, um, People are certainly familiar with sanitizer, but using it in this context is been completely new. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's it is very interesting. I know you say it's an unsexy product or industry, and yes, maybe. But I think what you've done with it is super interesting because of the approach you've taken with it. And I want to dive into so many different aspects of this, but 
first of all, I think it's also important that our audience hears a little bit more about your background um, and what you were doing prior to this, because I think it kind of helps set the stage for why you're such a great person to be talking to about <laughs> sustainability. So give us a little bit of the background of pre-Santa Kind, what were you up to? Yeah, well, so... I, I want to give like a shout out to anyone who's like, where, what direction is my life headed? I never had a linear career. I was always an impact. Um, I wanted, you know, in college, I was, I raised $50,000 for the American Cancer Society. I was always doing America Reads and wanted to make a difference, but I thought that nonprofits were just, they pissed me off. They're a really outdated <laughs> way of doing good. You're essentially in the same system that's not working, begging for money to do good. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't make any sense. And that scarcity mindset, I think, is really unhealthy for both the people running a nonprofit and the people who are receiving the benefit of that nonprofit. Um, I think empowerment and capacity building is like where it's at. And that's why I love all of these companies that are trying to do good in a for-profit context. Um, so I didn't have a linear career path. I was in education for a while in Boston Public Schools, which was an eye-opener, and then uh, had the opportunity to move to London and was there for four years. I ran a field-to-table cookery school, um, and that was unbelievable. I didn't do the cooking. I did a lot of eating, <laughs> <laughs> but we essentially mm -hmm. brought brought students around the country and and taught them what it was like to cook and where food comes from. So milking cows to skinning rabbits to do you name it. And to see the difference that this made for kids in a world where no one knows how to cook anymore. And it's the medium that really connects people, whether you come from a very privileged background or um, are on, in foster care, you probably don't know how to cook. And so again, capacity building and having having people understand and be transformed by that experience, it really moved me. And that led me to a master's in environment and sustainable development. And again, with my, my anger towards the nonprofit capitalist model, mm -hmm. um, I went and got an MBA as well in disruptive innovation. Um, so I thought I was, you know, set up. The economy is great. I get this amazing job as director of client services. Um, you know, I had incredible clients in the top Fortune 500, and um, and then COVID happens, and the startup I'm working for runs out of funding, and I was let go, and. I could not believe it. I had just been going through uh, a divorce and had moved oh, wow. from London to San Francisco. And um, oh yeah, gosh. it was really, it was really depressing. It was, um, it was shot, but you know, at the same time, I, you know, I knew I'd be fine. There were so many people who are so far uh, worse off than I was. Um, but I, I, the, the future of where, where my job was, was, um, was scary for sure, mm -hmm. because you had these incredible seasoned vets in, um, in all sorts of different industries and sustainability that were let go. I mean, there mm -hmm. was, you know, I was like, I'm never getting a job compared to these people. <laughs> um, and that's where Santa oh, wow. kind came in because my founder um, and I got in touch and it was just sort of a really a match made in heaven. Um, we really complement each other's skills and it it absolutely took off. We, we, we started a Kickstarter from there. 
Oh my gosh. I have so many questions, but one thing I want to make sure we don't just gloss over is a concept I've heard before, but I want you to go into a bit more detail. Why is the non-profit or not-for-profit system broken in your mind? And what do you think would make it better? Yeah. I So if you think about how our country and how global globally what we think of as a um you know a high income country is just a country that according to the gdp is buying things so how our our country's health is literally off of the metric of is everyone buying stuff <laughs> and inside <laughs> of that model mm. there isn't a lot of room for um what might people might call socialism where you're taking funds and you're putting them, investing them back into society. So of course in Canada, that looks a one way. In the UK, it looks certain ways. In America, it looks certain ways. So it might be investing it into free healthcare, better school systems, better infrastructure, Mm -hmm. you name it. Um, In the United States, if you look back to the history of where nonprofits came from, they're really mostly a tax haven that um, were used to just, you know, you don't, you don't have to pay taxes on um, anything that you, you donate and you get, you get a redemption. So we, you know, if you donate to American Cancer Society, you're not going to have to, um, it's going to offset your taxes, but that money gets to be, you can do whatever you want with that. When you're an American Cancer Society, you can just pay your employees you can, um, you know, mm. make the most incremental difference. And I think what we've seen in the United States is that people are really skeptical of nonprofits for that reason. And they understand that you don't really know what good your money is doing. Um, yeah. You just have no idea. And that it's really a, 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 a privilege to have a nonprofit um, in a lot of senses. It doesn't, it doesn't work the way that it should. So one of the things I've been thinking about for a while without really knowing, I haven't gotten too deep into the nonprofit, not-for-profit space, and so it's kind of an uneducated opinion. But if you think about it, if the best minds are, you know, wanting to be paid top dollar, it kind of just doesn't really make sense to have the world's biggest problems solved by people who are going to do it for free, right? Like, or or not get paid the same as people in the private sector doing something similar. Totally, totally. And that's, it's, it really, it, I mean, I've said it before, it pisses me off. Why in the world would you have, I mean, I I think that doing good is what people want to do. People want to contribute. That's where people, Mm -hmm. I mean, if you think about it from physiologically, like what happens to our hormones when we do good, you can, it's, it's, it's medically proven that people are happier when they're making a difference and they have a purpose. They live longer, they have less stress in their life. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, there's no doubt about it, but then you're taking all of these people who want to do good. And instead you're saying, well, actually I'm going to like, you know, I'm going to have you solve this problem in this sector of tech that's doing, you know, X, Y, Z. And there's nothing wrong with that um, whatsoever. But I'd imagine that those people would have a lot more um, fulfillment in their life and the world would be better off if we were paying top dollar for people who are, 
you know, really honestly figuring out some of the toughest problems. Um, I think that's a great point. And that really pissed me off. I mean, a lot of what nonprofits, a lot of their time is spending applying to grants. And we mm-hmm. call it applying to grants. To me, honestly, it just sounds like begging. Like why, why should I spend most of my time putting together a very outdated, you know, 10-page document on why you should give me money? Mm-hmm. That's wild. That makes no sense. No for-profit business would ever allow their company or their employees to spend that much time doing that, ever. Oh, totally. Totally. I know. It, might, it is so frustrating. I'm just really thinking about it for the first time talking to you, and it's infuriating. I also think it takes a very different mind. You almost need people who are truly entrepreneurial. And I even look at you and your experience. Yeah, maybe you hadn't started your own companies the same way before, but your entire like thesis or your MO, how you operate is identifying gaps. What needs to be fixed? What is broken? Where do additional resources need to go? And if you think about entrepreneurship, is that any different? Yeah, exactly. And I think that's why Santa Kind has become such a baby of mine. Like I just, I love the solving problems and I love figuring it out. And, um, and yeah, I think that that's where people who want to make a difference, you can figure out a for-profit model that works. And um, and there's certainly flaws in it, 100%. Um, it's a learning curve. And I think we're just at the infancy of millennials and Gen Z really understanding how they can push the third-party industries, packaging, um, mm-hmm. you know, fulfillment, how we can demand more of them. Because uh, that's really where the impact is going to happen is is in those B two B relationships. Um, but yeah, I think you're totally right. It's totally like it's it's a mindset for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's such a good point. It's something that I know Kelsey and I, I think we've talked about before. Is just like as a consumer and as an individual, there's things you want to do, and you know you're going to do everything you can to make a difference and move the needle. But really it has to happen on a bigger scale. It has to come from those big corporations who actually have the power to really make big differences. So um, yeah, I'm excited to see kind of where it goes over the next few years. Um, In terms of building Santa kind, I know when we were talking before we hit record on this episode is, um, you know, you didn't want to be greenwashing and you really wanted to make sure that how you were building Santa kind was, um, you know, truly responsible can you talk a little bit about what that's looked like in practice as you've built it? Yeah, this has been one of the most interesting parts of building Santa Kind. Um, I think so. Prior, when I was consulting, a lot of my work was um, helping companies look at their priorities for sustainability and understanding the ROI on it, but also understanding how to communicate it in a responsible way and then report on it. Um, and then, and then also like push the envelope of what's possible and bring transparency. What I really admire is when a company says, we are not sustainable, we are responsible. Because business, from my standpoint, business is, it's an oxymoron to be sustainable. You are taking resources, you are building them, they likely can't decompose 
Um, they're likely not harvested in a regenerative way. There are toxins along the way. There is shipping. You don't know what a customer is going to do at the end of the product's life cycle. I mean, it's just fundamentally, it's using resources from the planet and not replacing them. So how could you call yourself sustainable? But there is no one definition of sustainable, and there are no regulations around calling yourself sustainable. Similarly to uh, what we saw years ago between a a brand calling their food product organic versus natural Mm -hmm. um, versus, you know, just claiming a few things. Like there's, there's really, there isn't a lot of transparency. So what we found with with Sanakind is um, is really that we know that we have an impact. We're certainly um, we're the most sustainable sanitizer on earth, which um, I can't say is all that difficult because our <laughs> competition is mostly just virgin plastic. But we're plastic negative. Um, we offset our carbon. But what I've found so interesting is uh, the mix between being really transparent with look, we offset all our carbon, but are we actually certified yet? We aren't because the certification process in and of itself is a few grand. And do I have a few grand as a small business to just put at literally a certification that's going to go on my website? I'm already doing the work and a lot of companies aren't, to be honest. So I think Mm -hmm. certifications, you know, they, they are great. But what is the ROI on that for a small business? Um, and so at times I've said, well, I, you know, I'm gonna forego on that certification because I'd rather put this money into investing in, you know, R and D or frankly, like paying rent or <laughs> whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Um, that you really have some big trade-offs. Um, and then of course there's educating our audience and our community. And I think that's been one of the highlights for me is just having a platform where I get to share what um, what it's like to be a small business, but what what some of these terms mean. Like, what is carbon offsetting? Does anyone actually know what that is? Because I could go on for it. I wrote my <laughs> thesis on it, but it, it's like it doesn't – no one really knows what it is or what impact mm-hmm. you're making. So I think we're at a new stage of sustainability. Um, and I think every founder who's a conscious founder has the responsibility of really telling it like it is and not trying to just share the good stuff because it's better marketing or makes for – you know makes you look better. Mm-hmm. I think it's really like this is this time where we, we bring radical transparency to a conscious brand. Wow. I am loving all of this. So let's just say I'm a brand or even for all the people in our audience who are founders of their own small businesses, how do they start? Yeah. So I think, um, gosh, it's a good question. So if you're, if you're fundamentally just, I want to start a company, I have this idea and I want to make it sustainable. Um, I like to think of it in three pillars, which is you have social, economic, and then environmental. And a lot of times we think of sustainability in just a pure environmental stance. And I think that that's, it's great, but you also have to think about, okay, well, you know, if I'm getting this manufactured in, let's say you get it manufactured in China, um, 
you need to be careful wherever you're getting this manufactured of the welfare of who's working on your product and who's building it, who's packaging mm-hmm. it. Um, are they being paid fairly? Do they have the right working conditions? Um, are they being subjected to chemicals that we wouldn't normally subject ourselves to in the U.S. or in countries that have higher standards than the U.S.? Um, that's something to think about. Economically, yes, are they being paid fairly? But economically, from the sense of can this idea have viability in the market? Um, you know, our product is is not a three dollar or one ninety nine uh, type of cheap sanitizer. Our bottle, we hope that you never have to buy another sanitizer bottle ever again. So fundamentally, that goes against what a business wants, right? Because most mm-hmm. most companies, they're making a product that eventually will break, knowing that it's going to break and you're going to have to repurpose. I mean, I'm, I'm taking this um, podcast from an, an Air Mac um, or – you know, I that's going to break. I'm eventually going to have to buy a new computer. Uh, mm-hmm. They know that they could invent a computer that would never break and we'd never have to buy a new one, but that fundamentally would not make them any money. Um, mm. So you want to look for how can I work myself out of business? If everyone had a reusable sanitizer dispenser that wanted one, I would be out of business because I am giving a lifetime warranty. I am essentially making a product that you never have to buy another one. Um, so if you think of it from that standpoint, um, that is is where I think a new product that you're inventing, you should think of it in that context. And we certainly have people who buy multiple Santa Kind minis. Um, we come out with different colors. Um, that's the fun part about our brand is that it's um, and you know that's why we call ourselves a swell water bottle of sanitizers. We can do marble and teak wood and tie dye, mm-hmm. but we're always trying to reach new people instead of making a product that's just going to break that our customer has to continue to reuse or or not even break, but that's going to be done at some point. Um, and then when you think about it environmentally, uh, if I were a founder, I'd be asking myself, what type of materials can I be making this from? If it's clean beauty, it's like, well, what's pushing the edge on what what is real clean beauty? Because clean beauty in the United States is very different than clean beauty in the UK, for instance, which bans thousands of uh, chemicals and the United States only bans a handful. Um, so you really need to do your homework on what's out there. Um, what does carbon offsetting mean and can we go above and beyond and what, what is recyclable and how do I educate my customers to make sure that they're actually recycling our packaging when they get a, a package from us? Um, so those three pillars, I think, really help break it out for founders because I feel so lucky and sometimes I forget how much I know in sustainability, um, but it's a really noisy space and a lot of our education is actually just coming from brands. You know, it's not like we mm-hmm. learn sustainability in school. Most people don't have a graduate degree in sustainability. So where are they actually learning about this from? And most of it's actually just from brands. Mm-hmm. Which is so interesting, right? Like it's, Yeah, it's just so fascinating. And I think also what you were saying about 
you know, being okay with wanting to eventually put yourself out of business. Mm -hmm. I think it's just such a mindset shift. And we've had a couple of guests on who have, you know, said the same thing is that they understand that if they truly run their business responsibly, that will be the end game. Yeah. Um, But I can imagine that's hard to wrap your head around when you're, you know, starting a business and you want to make money to to think about that. Yeah, totally. And I think about it. So I, I also consult for some small businesses and my whole goal is I hope that you don't need me. Like I hope that I've done a good enough job hmm. that you get what you need. And of course, I'm always here for them. You know, they know that. But but you don't need me because you've been given the capacity to do what you need to and the tools to understand these pillars and ask the right questions. So I think um, I think it's really cool because I do see a lot of different companies that are taking on this mindset. And I think customers react to it. They know. So, you know, our community, they know that they, they can ask me really any question and I'm going to answer them transparency, transparently. Uh, but they also, they know that I'm, that we're not perfect, that there's room to grow. Um, you know, one of the issues that we have is we added a silicone um, funnel to refill your little mini. Um, yep. And we added that to every single one. We launched with Kickstarter. We wanted everyone to have one. But some people ordered, you know, three minis or five minis for the whole family. Um, and everyone got a silicone funnel because it came in their little box. But it's not that sustainable. And then you think about on the back end from a, a Shopify um, website development, like how do you figure out yep. with a web developer to just have the option to add in a silicone funnel um, or not? And, you know, when you're trying to launch in the middle of a pandemic right before holiday uh, and you're on a tight budget, like building that out just wasn't a possibility. And so we went with making sure everyone had one. Um, and would I have done mm-hmm. that if we had moved slower, if we had felt less pressure to launch because of holiday and because of the Kickstarter mm-hmm. back, you know, like yep. I, I wouldn't have. Um, and so there's definitely there's and, and our customers give us that feedback. We're doing the same thing with the sprayers that you can reuse um, for our refills. So you can you can take the plastic yeah. sprayer out and put it in the next one you get with your subscription or if you, you you place an order. So it's interesting because it's 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 not perfect yet. We're just we're learning. Um and I think that that transparency oh, yeah. is just so much more enjoyable for a customer too. Like they they kind of can laugh at oh, me yeah, with I'm like, yeah. you know, palm to face like mm-hmm. god, I really I didn't do that one right, but here we go. <laughs> It's so funny. We had a we had another guest on a couple weeks ago and she just said, "Look, all I claim is that as I know better, I do better. It's not going to be perfect. We're getting <laughs> yeah. one step better each time." I'm like, "Look, I get that. I appreciate that." Amen. The other thing, Martika, is I'm I'm I want to talk a little bit more about this refill um component to your business and and I want to make it abundantly clear. Yeah, you only need one actual like the sanitizer, the actual bottle, but you've got a whole model to your business where you can refill that bottle sustainably and you're creating a bit of that repeat purchase or that repeat customer. How do you get people to come back and to continue to buy from you month over month? 
Yeah. So we have, um, we've been developing different scents. We use essential oils, organic and natural. And we've, we really like, we engage with our customers so much. I have a Facebook group of a thousand people who just love to give feedback. I have text message chains with a few um, customers. I have, I mean, I have full on two hour conversations about our products, but just about life with some of my customers. It's sort of like an office hours that I hold. And so, you know, I have upgrades that I want to make to the look of our bottle. Um, I, I, my muse is like by humankind. I think that they're amazing. I love, um, you know, uh, blue land as a home, um, home cleaning products brand. I'm always just asking them like, how about this? What about that? Um, we, we really understand or try to understand what our customers want. And so when it comes to new scents, as that developed, um, talking about efficacy, you know, not all sanitizers created equal, not all sanitizer can kill COVID or any other virus. People don't understand that. A lot of them have petroleum in them. Um, they're just filled with gunk. So we do a lot of education so that mm. customers really understand. Um, but you know, it's it's like from email marketing to I write a handwritten note to every single customer when I package their products. Oh, I love it. That it's insane. And I know that every, you know, there's so many of my, you know, mentors or, or people that I get advice from other founders, especially men, funny enough, are like, why are you doing that? You shouldn't even be touching your fulfillment process. That should be outsourced. And we did outsource, but the company that was doing that was not packaging properly. They were using plastic tape to send things. They were, you know, aluminum dents really easily. So they were sending our um, products in boxes that would just throw the aluminum around and customers were getting them being like showing pictures of this aluminum bottle that it looked like it had been run over by a car by the time it got to them. Oh no! And so I just couldn't control the quality and um, I couldn't control the sustainability. And so I said, well, it looks like one of the bedrooms in my apartment is turning into a fulfillment center. <laughs> and I have help oftentimes when we have just, we have so many orders, which is amazing. And, um, but I can, I, I literally, I still handwrite all the notes and we, we talk about the difference that's being made. And I think that it is, um, it's, it's that connection to our customers that has them totally loyal to, making a difference and supporting a small female founded company. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that it's, you can't, I I can't point to that type of ROI. Um, And I think a lot of times as a founder, we make a lot of stupid mistakes, but we also, we have an intuition and a lot of it is qualitative and, and in a world and in a society that really predominantly values quantitative metrics I think there's something to be said for that qualitative gut instinct of, um, you know, my customers want to hear a note that's like, thanks for being conscious. Like, thank mm-hmm. you for supporting us. Thanks for like, stay healthy. Um, yeah. Be well, like whatever, you know, sometimes I'm just like, you picked my favorite color. <laughs> you know? uh-huh. Like you're great. Yeah. Have a great day. Like that, that goes a long way, uh, especially in today's world where we just don't have the type of interactions that I think we all need. Hmm. Oh, I completely agree. And I think it's this concept that we hear time and time again of doing things that don't scale, mm-hmm. taking that time um, 
to, you know, really invest in your customer experience, even if you're not going to be able to do that forever. And, you know, your second yeah. bedroom is <laughs> going to be your fulfillment center forever. But, um, but if it's worth it, you know, in the short term, then it's worth it. Absolutely. And it could, you know, really help in the long term as well. I think it's incredible also the relationship you've been able to build with your customers, you know, with text groups and Facebook group. How did you go about getting that started? Um, I would say, so we really have to give a lot of credit to Kickstarter and our Kickstarter backers. Um, I had never actually even invested in a Kickstarter campaign before I had launched this with my co-founder. And um, what I find really interesting about it is they're investing in an idea. Um, it's not, you don't have a product to launch. You you actually, which I find just kind of insane, is that you don't even have to bring a product to market and you can keep people's money. It's very hmm. ethically a little like gray for me, but hmm. what that does is it enables you to take that um, the pre-orders essentially and go and invest it in product development and placing a product, um, a, an order. And with all of that, if you're coming from, and, and this is where I really... I love building communities. So I didn't view it as, oh, these people are just investing in a product and boom, we're going to give them something. It was like, oh, no, no, no. These people are taking a chance on us and on an idea and on an idea to better better the environment. Let's like, I want to know everything about them. I want to know their shopping um, habits. I want to know how strongly they care about the sustainability. Maybe it's just the convenience or the cuteness of our product. I mean, maybe they just like a marble like keychain that's going to keep them safe. Um, I wanted to know everything. And so I quickly started releasing um, surveys. I was really transparent about where we were stuck. And some people, I mean, we have 8,000 backers. Someone in there has an expertise in what we're trying to work on. Let's like, let's not be silly. We've got 8,000 people. Of course, someone's like really good with packaging or really good with this, that, the other, you know, Moms love us because it makes uh, their kids going to school, like you can just snap our mini to the backpack of their kids and it's not this doomsday, like pun intended, but like sterile feeling, ugh, you know, thing that their kid has to do. So tapping into moms and like, tell me about PTAs. How do you get into those? Or like school unions and um, the board of every school, like how in the world do I crack those communities and provide value for them? So I started writing blogs on how to make sustainable schools. And people were like, oh my God, that's so much value. Let's talk about how we can get Santa kind in there. And um, I just think people go about building communities in a way that's like take, take, take. And I have totally gotten Mm -hmm. in that space for sure. And I think as a founder, it's really hard to see, um, you know, the forest through the trees. But really, my ethos as a human is like, I am not leaving this planet without making a goddamn difference. Like, so help me God. I just want to make a difference. I'm still trying to find that medium to the extent that it is fulfilling. And hopefully I'm never fulfilled. So I just keep on trying and Mm -hmm. keep on trying to make a difference. But right now my medium is reducing plastic waste and um, trying to set the standard for what it's like to be a conscious business and a transparently conscious business and helping other founders with that. So radical transparency and providing that type of 
transparency is valuable to people um, and getting mm-hmm. them, you know, to contribute, like that's valuable. A Kickstarter backer oh. fundamentally is trying to make a difference by helping your idea. Let's like, let's bring them into the the circle. Like, okay, we're working on this. Do you want to help? And most people do. And some people don't. And I mean, whatever that like that, they, they, that's fine. Um, they have helped by backing our product. Um, so I think that that's it, you know, it's, oh. um, it's yeah. cool. I love it. I geek out on it. Um, and I geek out on sharing it with other founders too. Um, so your energy is so good. I'm literally sitting here with the biggest smile on my face because if I had a dollar <laughs> for every entrepreneur or every founder that I talked to who felt like they were getting crushed under the weight of this expectation that they needed to come to the table with every new idea or every you know little thing that would progress their business forward – And I just think that that's so backwards. Your customers are the people who can come up with the ideas. Your job is to filter which ideas are worth activating and then to take action. And I think you just said that so eloquently. That's going to be a soundbite 100% for this episode. I think your customers know best and your job is to find a way to communicate with them and to bring their ideas to life. Yeah, totally. Yeah, really well said. I love it. Okay, so I know we're running out of time and I'm so guilty of going into big topics right at the end of episodes, but I do want to talk a little (laughs) bit more about Kickstarter, especially for these more social impact types of businesses, because you're right, you're never going to find a people who are a group of people who are more motivated in your success early on than through something like Kickstarter. When you decided you wanted to bring this product to market, obviously cash flow was a big issue. Talk us through the application process and how you actually got the Kickstarter campaign started. Yeah. So I got really lucky. My co-founder, he had started Final Straw, which was the world's first reusable collapsible collapsible straw. Um, and that raised almost $2 million on Kickstarter. So he knew a thing or two. He comes from media. He made this viral video. It was hysterical. And so I got really lucky <laughs> in creating a video with him. And I think that um, the branding, the community, um, really, I mean, I'm I'm gonna like shed a little light. There are some comments like you have to have thick, thick skin to run a Kickstarter um, hmm. because you out of eight thousand people, you might only have point like literally. I would do the math to keep myself sane, but zero point zero five percent of people being absolute trolls <laughs> on your comments, and it's really disheartening. And you feel no this way. pressure of. Yeah, it's kind of crazy, especially during a pandemic. I was like, yo, you guys, like I have been trapped in my apartment. I haven't even met my co-founder. My co-founder and I didn't meet until four (laughs) months into our business. Um, We were under such immense stress, let alone like I wasn't – we weren't making money then. I had no – I had been laid off. I had no income. Um, You know, there's this world pandemic. My mom's an ICU manager. Like, I was terrified. And people are leaving these comments like, we don't have our product yet. (laughs) It's like saying, like, I've been called trash. (laughs) Like, (gasps) I laugh about it now because at the time, I actually would cry. Um, And I would just, I mean, I would have to be really, like, talked down. But you realize that of actually, like, you know, you're canceled and I don't believe in cancel culture, but like, actually I do have boundaries and you can't talk to me that way. And I don't want your money. So I'm going to refund you. Um, I think Mm -hmm. it just, it's like, it's an incredible, incredible, um, 
platform because you have data from all of these people. There's plenty of really nice people that will email and say, hey, actually, this isn't that great. I would have suggested this. Um, QR codes on our product, we had never thought of that for our packaging. Someone chimed in and was like, wait, 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 before you do this, include that. And um, just really, I mean, there's there's really helpful. Our colors, we, we asked about what what next colors to do. I think there's so much data to be had. And a lot of people are really afraid of Kickstarter because it is, I mean, there's a lot of not sleeping and a lot of like, how do we launch this thing? Um, but there is, it's a mathematical equation. It's not crazy. It does take, require some funds. Um, a, a secret to Kickstarter is launching your product before you even launch your Kickstarter. And um, telling people about your launch. So you're gaining email addresses of people who are really interested in it. And then you just go gangbusters the day that you launch. Mm. And that's that's the most important day. You, you hope to hit $80,000 our first day wow. um, and really have it go viral, have a PR company to pick it up, pitch it to people. Um, I mean, it's definitely, it's a, it's a monster. I'm actually in, in talks with someone about creating a little course for people on how to launch a successful Kickstarter. Oh, you should do it. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah, I just, yeah, I think you're probably, yeah, I, 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 I have kept that um, kind of quiet for a while being like, uh, I don't know if I have the time, but what I really think is, is like a lot of people have incredible ideas, especially women. We are the people who purchase in our households. Um, 80% of all purchasing power is in a household is made by women. So mm -hmm. we know what works. We know it doesn't work. And I think that enabling women to just actually bring their idea and, you know, think of, think of Sarah Blakely with Spanx, oh, right? Yeah. She was just like, I'm mm -hmm. sick of this. And, mm -hmm. and just invented it. Um, Stasher bag. Um, there's so many female founders that were just like, you know what, this doesn't exist and I need it to exist. Um, empowering women to not be scared of, I'm going to make sure it exists. Um, I think Kickstarter is an amazing way to do that. It's really, it, it can be, I think it's the lowest risk option for a lot of, of different products for sure. Yeah. When you end up releasing that course or launching the material, whatever it looks like at the time, let us know. We'll have you come back and we'll do a full episode just on what you've put together through the Kickstarter program. I think that would be so massively mm -hmm. valuable. Oh, I would love that. Yeah, yeah. And I think like enabling people also like the sustainability in there too. My brain just – this is the brain of an entrepreneur. <laughs> I have way too many ideas floating around oh my gosh. all at once. I love it. kindred spirits. That's awesome. Okay, so before we go, we've got two more questions for you and then I promise we'll let you go. The The next one is going to be kind of yeah, short answer. Um, if a brand is looking for little substitutes or replacements that they should think about in their existing businesses, you gave one amazing tip, which is that stickers are just not that sustainable. What are the other little things or tweaks they can be making right now to make their business more sustainable? Yeah, that's a great one. So I think that packaging is probably... Um, one of the biggest things, it's like put put some pressure on your fulfillment center. If you're doing it yourself, find the sustainable options. You can find an ROI in that. You know, it might be more 
more expensive, which it is, but you can find the return on investment by educating your customer and saying, please recycle this. We use 100% recycled material or 50% or whatever it is. Um, People will emotionally connect to that and they will start to pay attention to the differences that you're making. So it's, it's, you need to be vocal about what you are doing and you, yeah, you need to educate people. You know, we, when we're, we're finally getting our climate neutral certification, we've been carbon neutral and actually carbon positive for a long time now, but we're going to do a whole campaign on educating what the hell is that? Like, why does it matter? Um, so I would say that that's one of the biggest tweaks. Um, and I think it really also comes down to, uh, making sure that you're, you're finding the, the type of resources, like what, how are you sourcing your material? What are they made of? Um, there's always, a an, a resource that's not going to be as impactful as another one. So just thinking through that, uh, making sure that your supply chain is, is clean from that sense. Um, and taking, I mean, I could go on, but honestly, like just ask your manufacturer, like, tell me all about how you treat your employees. Mm-hmm. That's like, that's, that's pressure. And that even just asking that question, they might treat their employees great, but they know that they're doing the right thing and that people care and that they should continue to do that because you're going to ask. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. So many great tips. And yeah, I think we are going to need to do a part two once you've got this Kickstarter stuff launched. And I'm sorry. I could go on forever about sustainability. No, we love to hear it. So could we. Um, yeah, no, we'll, we'll definitely have to have you back on in the future. This has been such a fun conversation. Um, our last question, which we ask everyone who comes on, um, obviously we think you absolutely get it. Uh, who do you think gets it or who inspires you? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, you know, I think by humankind is a brand that I really love. Um, and why I love them is they are a company that is taking sustainability and making it sexy. I think that sustainability, and we've seen it come a long way, but a lot of times people think of it as an inconvenience or Mm -hmm. for hippies or a little too like granola crunchy. Mm -hmm. And we sort of, we in the beginning tiptoed along that line of like earthy crunchy or where are we? (laughs) And, um, And I think that they've done such a good job of bringing sustainability and making it mainstream. It's just beautiful products. They really do it right from sourcing to packaging to they they've really done it right um so i would definitely for everyone's it's it's um a brand that's based around just like your um wellness um i shouldn't say wellness like all of your beauty products um from shampoo and conditioners to toothpaste and floss and all of that so mm-hmm. yeah no big fans of them as well i've never actually tried their products but um, definitely have eyed up their brand before. It's a very good recommendation. Yeah, yeah. I would get that. I'm, I would love to hear their founders on here. We should absolutely yeah. bring them on. And even if you l- look at their bio on Instagram, it says personal care designed to reduce single-use plastic waste. A single routine can shape our planet's future. Like, come on. This is this is good stuff. We are definitely going to yeah. reach out to them and have them on. <laughs> Thanks for the tip. Yeah, good. Of course. I don't even know them. So I'm like, maybe you can make an intro after that. (laughs) You got it. 
Martika, I don't know how to thank you enough. This has been such a fun conversation. And I'm not joking. You're on the hook now. You're coming back for part two. <laughs> well, thank you. I like I like the pressure. I work well <laughs> under pressure. So thank you both. Yeah, I just absolutely love what you're doing. It's 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 such a fun, um, it's such a fun time and an honor to be considered for this and, and on with you guys. It was fun to chat. Okay, there's a ton in there, and I had so many more questions I wanted to ask, but I honestly, I think all of it's just so important. And for anyone who hasn't given this much thought, go listen to this episode. Go listen to another episode we did with Georgette Packaging to understand um, just like how this stuff is recycled and what the waste impact is of non-sustainable packaging. The other one to go listen to is um, one an episode we did with a company called Loop that reduces food waste by repurposing um, older like produce into new products. And so I think... Yeah, I think we're just very interested in this sustainable space. And it's kind of this cross section between the direct to consumer e-commerce brand meets sustainability. I don't know. I, I just thought there was so much good stuff in there. I also think the best reminder of the entire episode, in my opinion, is that you don't need to be responsible for coming up with every new idea for your business. All you need to do is be good at listening to your customers. And I think Kickstarter is a really interesting way to do this. I think surveys are a really interesting way to do this, email marketing, and even just literally sending personalized emails to a couple of customers on a certain cadence, whether that's weekly or monthly, just to get a more authentic reaction to how they're interacting with your product, where it's falling short, what's delighting them. This stuff is not rocket science. And I'm just so appreciative that Martika called that out because it's something I certainly forget. And I think a lot of founders overlook. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. And as you were talking to, it reminded me Billy's episode, she talks about like building relationships with their customers before launch mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. So great call. that would be a good one to listen back to as well. So my takeaway from this episode, I think obviously there's so many, I learned a ton, but for me in the transitionary period I'm in right now, just hearing her speak about how her career has not been linear really just made me feel good because it is such a confusing path, especially when, you know, the first thing you do, you're interested in it, but maybe you want to take a different spin on things, um, which is where I'm at. Um, It was just really refreshing to hear that, like, you could do whatever the fuck you want. You don't have to follow a clear path and straying away (laughs) from it is actually good. It should be celebrated. So, um, yeah, that was just a nice reminder for me. Um, We obviously love talking to sustainable brands, so go ahead and tag your favorite one in our latest Instagram post. Um, We would love to get more brands with this kind of focus on the show. So yeah, let us know who you think we should talk to in this space. We are all ears. And until next week, have a beautiful week and we'll talk to you soon. Talk to you soon.